Well, I'm left with this is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Manisha Takor. Manisha, are you ready to do this? I am, George. All right, let's go. Manisha is a CFA, a CFP, and an MBA. She's the founder of the financial wellness consultancy Money Zen. She's an author, speaker, and consultant. Her newest book is Money Zen, Escape the Cult of Never Enough and Reclaim Your Life. Manisha, excited to have you on. Tell us a little about your personal life, some more about your work, and what motivated you to put pen to paper for the new book. Sure. So um, I am 53, divorced, childless. It's not as bleak as it sounds. Um, <laughs> I'm also the super proud um, auntie to the uh, some of the three cutest um, little people on the earth. And um, one of the things that I found being in my 50s is that um, it's been nice to have the flexibility to be able to help out with my parents who are in their early 80s, um, as so many of us in midlife, I think, are finding out um, dealing with elder care at the same time as raising children is an incredibly difficult um, situation to be in. So I feel very um, grateful to be able to handle both of those. And as a 50th birthday present to myself, I uh, bought a uh, lake house in um, rural Maine. And so I split my time between Portland, Oregon, um, and uh, living about uh, uh, five feet from an unbelievable lake in uh, rural Maine, where I get to paddleboard and kayak. Um, so that's a little bit about my uh, personal life. And because I'm middle-aged, sort of, I've already forgotten the second question, George. <laughs> Just some more about your work. <laughs> um, there may be a reason I forgot about that. It could have been deliberate, Freudian. Who knows? Um, so I am starting the third chapter of my career. I spent the first 15 years um, out of um, business school. I did my MBA at Harvard, which tends to be kind of a feeder into the investment um, world, at least back then. It was kind of a feeder into the investment banking, um, investment anything sort of world. And I um, moved ultimately into the investment management world. And I was a buy-side equity analyst and then portfolio manager for corporations, endowments, foundations. Um, and then um, through a circuitous, circuitous turn of events, um, ended up writing two personal finance books for young women in their 20s and 30s with a girlfriend of mine from business school because Shockingly, they don't teach personal finance at Harvard Business School. They teach corporate finance, um, but not uh, personal finance. And our super smart girlfriends were asking us the same questions. So I thought, well, let's write a book about it. And then that caught me interested in helping individuals. So I got my CFP and I moved over on to the wealth advisory side. Um, and, and then I did that for the second chapter of my career. Um, and then as I moved into my 50s, um, for a variety of different reasons, I switched gears again um, and kind of retired from the corporate side of the world. And now I split my time um, between sitting on uh, corporate nonprofit uh, national boards and then writing and doing uh, keynote speaking and consulting. I love it. And 
the newest book, what was the motivation there? Ooh, so they say, you know, sometimes you write books to teach, which is what the first two books were. They were data dumps um, from my head to teach others. Um, this book was to teach myself because I came to realize that I had basically spent almost my entire adult life um, living on a 24-7 hamster wheel of hustle culture. And no matter how much money I earned, how many accomplishments I achieved, how much, um, you know, uh, accolades I received, it was just never enough. And I felt like I was never enough. There was like nothing I could do that would fill up, as the Buddhist would say, the hungry ghosts. And it was literally as if I had been sucked into this cult of never enough. And it was exhausting. And I did not want to spend the rest of my life on this planet chasing after this. And so I decided I wanted to go on an explorative journey to figure out, A, how I ended up like this, um, uh, and if anybody else was having the same problem, turned out the answer was yes, lots of people. Um, and then B, how do we get ourselves out of it? Um, and so I put together a book proposal and it turned out that um, folks at HarperCollins were like, yep, lots of people interested in this. And so I've spent the last two years researching, writing, and the book comes out in uh, August. Oh, I love it. 2023. I don't love the fact that so many of us are stuck on that hamster wheel. I I do love that you think about it or you described it as a cult because it, it kind of is, right? Yeah. Like when you think about cults, you think about whatever. There's, there's, there's tons of them from the outside looking in. They're like, how could anybody ever get into a cult? That's crazy. But we're all sort of stuck there. Yeah. Well, you know, we live in a society that tends to tell us that the answer for almost any ailment is more. Hmm. Um, you know, you're, you're not feeling um, successful enough, work harder. Um, you're not feeling um, good enough about yourself physically, um, go to the gym and work harder, um, diet more, um, try and, you know, buy more clothes. Um, you know, you aren't feeling good about your social life, make more friends, have more hobbies. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is in your life. The answer seems to be more. And um, when it comes to work, it can be particularly dangerous because work is an area where by the very nature of it, it um, it's it's never ending. And basically what's happened to so many of us is we've now attached our identities to work. And many of us, I mean, for me, this was the real turning point was when I realized I had come to identify my self-worth with my net worth. I literally viewed myself as a number as my income, as my, my net worth, not as any of the other characteristics of myself as a human, um, which is horrifying. That is horrifying. 
but and and but should we just <laughs> not do that at all or are there healthier ways to measuring sticks yeah so you know what I came to realize is that there are a range of factors that cause so many of us to fall into this way of thinking. And the first, interestingly enough, is so many high performance individuals across any industry not just finance, but there are a lot of us in finance are driven by um, what psychologists will often call small T traumas, things that happened to us before age 25, when our brains were not yet fully formed, um, that haunt us still, um, oftentimes well into our 40s, um, sometimes even longer, and just drive us to show people. And you know, in my case, I am mixed race. I'm half Indian and I grew up in a small town in Indiana and um, I was chubby and I had Coke bottle glasses and I had a skin condition called psoriasis. And I was like, so not the cool girl. And I got picked on so much so that in sixth grade, like the kids in the the uh, um uh, in the lunchroom would spread their trays apart. It was like mean girls. So there's nowhere for me to sit down. And I used to literally leave school at lunch and my parents worked and I would, so I didn't have a latch key um, because my mom was a teacher. So she'd get home by the time I was there. And I sat under the picnic table every day oh, no. um, for a year because I couldn't take the bullying. And that's what drove me for, I mean, for years, well into adulthood. But then there are other factors, right? Because you then culturally we get rewarded for work. And as the more the, the more I got promoted, you know, she's the youngest one to lead this. She's the long, youngest one to get, get promoted to that, get accolades. Um, and then, you know, as I got bigger and bigger raises, I could start buying stuff. And oh, does society like to reward you for, you know, look, she's wearing those shoes with the red bottoms. Do you know how much those cost? And then, you know, the, <laughs> society rewards you. And then so these there are these different factors that come together. Um, and and I found that there were a variety for um, uh, personal small t trauma, cultural, societal, and even evolutionary biological factors um, where when our fight or flight um, kicks in, um, which kind of circles back to society telling us, you know, for survival, you need more, you need more, which in, you know, hunter gatherer days, when you literally needed more food, whenever it came around, you needed more as much of it as you could to survive, because you didn't know what was coming. Well, now we live in a land of plenty. So we don't constantly need more. But our our neo, you know, our our um, amygdala doesn't know that. So when you stir all that up together, that's how we get in the cult of never enough. And so then the question and the answer becomes, how do we get out? Right. And so that's really um, where I came to find peace and where I want to spend this third chapter of my life and helping people find peace is by spreading the message of how we get out and reclaim our lives. 
Well, I am somebody who loves a framework or a process. Could you share a little bit? Absolutely. So what we want to do is swap the equation self-worth equals net worth or whatever kind of toxic relationship you have in your mind with money, work, success, accomplishments, and instead use a framework that I call financial health plus emotional wealth. And with financial health, the idea is achieving um, competence, achieving um, finding your enough. And this is different for each person. And this is where financial ad advisors and the and, um, the the wealth management industry can be incredibly powerful. And the um, shift towards financial life planning, towards the inclusion of financial therapists in the process. I'm loving seeing this because this helps people identify what is the point at which you have found your enough um and that number is often very different than what many people think it is because many of us have a lot of things in our life that i call leaky money spots things that we have that aren't bringing us a lot of joy and when we can get rid of those money leaks our enough is often a lot smaller than we think it is and therefore we can let go of these activities that are draining us and then we can invest that time into our emotional wealth and what i've what i find fascinating to just kind of sum this up is many of us have heard of the study that says any income you earn over $75,000 a year doesn't make you happy. And most of us are like, okay, that is the stupidest study. That number, that, that doesn't make any sense. Well, it turns out that study is wrong, but it's not wrong because the number is too low. It's wrong because any increase over that number does not make you happy unless you have a baseline of emotional well-being. If you just keep earning more money and you soar past financial health, but you got no emotional wealth, it's not going to make you happier. And so that's why this formula of financial health plus emotional wealth is the answer to escaping that cult of never enough and finding this place of, of money's end. Um, and so that's the piece that I missed when I was trapped in the 24 seven hamster wheel of hustle culture um, and how I escaped and how I hope to help other people escape in this third chapter of my life. That makes a ton of sense. I, I really appreciate that. So we need to know what our enough is mm -hmm. and that's not, that's not easily found. It's by no means impossible, but it requires work. And I'm, I'm sure that you walk through how to arrive at that number in the book. And the same thing is true of emotional wealth, um, because if I'm just pursuing happiness and it's going to keep ratcheting up and up and up, which is the whole point. So I need to be able to figure out what my baseline is of, of this emotional wealth. Well, and what's so interesting, George, is oftentimes emotional wealth comes from it's rooted in so often in less um, and often in achieving less. Um, and when I say achieving less, most people have, especially uh, 
ambitious type A's that get caught in um, the cult of never enough have a really visceral negative reaction to that. But generally, emotional wealth is rooted in less, less obligations, less um, packed of a calendar, less money going out because you're having uh, there, there are so many different ways in which we are packing our lives full that are costing us extra money to help keep going because we are so stressed, miserable, and unhappy, um, or just time starved. And so while we don't have time today to walk through the various steps to identify what is the level, uh, you know, what is the number for financial health, which again, I cannot emphasize enough that the financial services industry with its new emphasis in many places on financial life planning um, is really um, doing the work, the cutting edge work on that um, and um, identifying um, what brings emotional wealth? I find that emotional wealth most often comes the way it did for me, with, was peeling away things and identifying simplicity and small joys and ending up with financial independence as a result of discovering my emotional wealth came from things uh, rooted in simplicity and small joys and certainly indulgences. Um, I now have a, a, a cabin in Maine. It's not like I'm uh, living like a monk, right. um, but uh, it's, um, yeah, I'd say my life is now characterized by simplicity, small joys and financial independence, as opposed to misery, exhaustion and overwhelm. Seems like a good trade-off. <laughs> Now, these, this wisdom, this ability to, to, to actually do the things, a lot of the time it's, it's through personal experience. It's through yeah. making mistakes. You're obviously hoping that you'll help people to figure this out without having to make the same mistakes. I wrote this book primarily for individuals in their 40s and 50s who have face planted multiple times <laughs> like me. So when I said um, divorced and no kids, um, uh, all of that uh, involved a fair amount of face planting. And so the book is remarkably candid, remarkably candid. If I still worked for in the corporate environment, I would not have been as raw. Um, there are stories I share in there that I would never have been able to share if I didn't work for myself now. I also interview a wide range of women um, I did so using pseudonyms um, at all of their requests so that they, too, could be incredibly candid. And so it is a book that shares mistakes. Um, so it is not about how to avoid the mistakes. It is about how to learn from them, how to pick yourself up from them. And then for people in their 20s and 30s, it my hope is that it will be a cautionary tale when you start seeing some of those things creep into your own life that perhaps you may remember 
um, some of the stories in the book. And um, the book is half story, half research. And the reason I wanted it to be half story is that's how we learn. We, we remember story, but I also wanted it to be deeply rooted in research because um, story without research sometimes can feel um, uh, as it's as if it's lacking um, an intellectual foundation and a framework. So throughout the book, there are a wide range of interdisciplinary, um, top-notch uh, experts um, who share their academic research um, and cutting-edge um, public uh, published studies. Um, and so it's full of um, story, um, facts, and figures. I love it. We want to strike the right balance between uh, being just a just to your point, just a lovely story, and also way too clinical or or academic, where it's just about just about the numbers. So I, I appreciate that, and I'm grateful that you are in a place that you were able to to share those face plants and those the raw messy. Uh, details and stories that you've gone through, because I think that that's really how we identify, you know, if you held yourself out to be this person who's perfect and never made any mistakes and everything's gone just great, then you probably wouldn't resonate and probably wouldn't be as effective as, as, as it is. So thank you. Yeah. Oh no. Like there are plenty of mistakes in there. <laughs> I love it. And Manisha, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they get their copy of Money Zen, Escape the Cult of Never Enough, and Reclaim Your Life? So Money Zen is available in all the usual suspect places online. Um, prior to August uh, 8th, if you're listening to uh, the podcast then, it is available for pre-order. And I cannot thank you enough if you pre-order it. That's always super helpful. And you get some fun free bonuses if you do that. Um, and you can go to moneyzenbook.com to get those pre-order bonuses. And after August 8th, you can find me and all my social links and um, everything that I'm up to at moneyzen.com. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed as much as I did, show Manisha your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Pick up your copy of Money Zen, Escape the Cult of Never Enough, and Reclaim Your Life wherever you buy your books. You can also go to moneyzenbook.com and pre-order your copy and take advantage of the extras that Manisha was talking about. And then find learn, find and learn all things, Manisha, at moneyzen.com. Thanks again, Manisha. Thanks, George. And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.